like uh, uh, you just heard, Pastor Mitch is on sabbatical, um, and so I'm not the pastor of the church. Gene and I have been coming here for just over four years now, and uh, are glad to be able to be part of the fellowship. When Pastor Mitch asked us, uh, six of us, well, no, he needed people to preach six times, uh, and so several of us have taken one or two Sundays each while he's gone, and he suggested that we go preach from the Psalms. And as I was, I found out right away that, that my uh, assignment was on Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to you fathers, by the way. Uh, this, this is the psalm that just jumped out at me. And I went through and was kind of uh, checking over and over again and looking over the ones, the psalms that are especially meaningful to me. And this one kept coming over and over again. I thought, yes, you know, it's Father's Day. What better psalm to uh, talk about and honor our Heavenly Father than the one that kept, keeps talking about this one is born in the city of God, God our Father. And so that's how come I've chosen this psalm. I really love it. it it's, it's compact, it's beautiful, and it's intriguing. Um, it's also a little confusing if you were trying to figure out what are those middle verses talking about? Uh, and that's all right, especially that middle part, but let's just enjoy looking at the psalm part by part. It's, it, it comes uh, in three parts. The first part is verses one, and, one through three, and let me read those again. On the holy mountain, or mount, stands the city he founded. Some versions talk about established or uh, uh, a foundation in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are, of you are spoken, O city of God, and then it has the word Selah. And often that word Selah kind of is, is uh, it, it, it's put in a place where we just, and for me, I read it again. It's like, think about what you just read, you know? There's, some people think that maybe there was a, a musical interlude or something. But when I read that, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Say that again. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, not just a normal city. And because verse, uh, several times in here, the word Zion, uh, is mentioned, and so let me just take a couple minutes to, to remind you if you're not familiar with that term. Zion normally would, would mean, it's another name for Jerusalem. It was sometimes called the city of David because when David came to power, one of the things he did was he conquered um, the city that was there, and he moved to a part of the city that uh, um, and, and brought the tabernacle there to where he lived. That part of the city is just south uh, of what is now 
called, well, at that time it was called Mount Moriah, now it's called the uh, Temple Mount, uh, the Dome of the Rock Mosque is there. And if you read in uh, Kings and Chronicles, you can see where when David's son came to power and Solomon was uh, gonna make Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem really big, it says that he took, he built the temple on what's now the Temple Mount area, and then he took the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant from the city of David and put it there in the temple that he had just built. So sometimes Zion means just that city of David, you'll see it referred to that, but sometimes, most often, it's like the whole city. But if you read the many times in Psalms and especially in um, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, and some other places, Zion almost always carries with it the spiritual aspect of Judaism. Jerusalem was and still is, for the Jews, the religious center. It's true that Tel Aviv now is going to be the, the metropolitan city. You know, I have a Jewish doctor that's taking care of my eyes for a bunch of surgeries. And when I told him that I had a chance to go to uh, uh, Israel, and was going to go to Jerusalem. He says, oh, you'll really like that. I said, have you been there? And he says, no, I always go to Tel Aviv. <laughs> but he says, yeah, that, that Jerusalem, that's, that's a special. You'll just really like it, he said to me. Uh, and it's true. But my point is that when Zion is used, most often you will, you will realize that they're talking about not just Jewishness, but Jewishness related to God. And for us as Christians also, as we have recognized that Christ, his work in Israel in general and specifically related to uh, the temple sacrifices and himself being a sacrifice for us also, when we read the word Zion, we recognize, yes, this is God's dealing with us on that spiritual level that that's the ideal level. <clears throat> it is the spiritual relationship of Israel to God as God's place, God's kingdom, uh, God's city, uh, that is really built on in Psalm 87. Even when the city was destroyed and the temple was uh, destroyed physically, Jews scattered all over the world uh, would have been able to recognize in the word Zion a reference to God's sovereign presence and care for them as his people. So I'm, each of these three parts, I'm, uh, I have a, a, a sentence or a phrase that I want as my, uh, my your take-home package today. And so for for the first part, my take-home statement is this. If God makes a city, if God makes a city, you can be sure it is super cool. I mean, he's God, right? If God makes a city, you can be sure it is super cool. But God's definition of cool is like way better than ours. In verses 1 to 3, they are related to God's 
definition of cool in this city that he made. And the first thing that I want to grab onto is that word holy. God established his city, it says, on the holy mount, the holy mountains. I wonder uh, if the word holy would have been in your, your key choices of where and how to establish a city. Uh, a few of you know my friend Ed Johnson, uh, who is now blind, but uh, when he was in college, his degree was in city planning. And so a few weeks back, I said, hey, Ed, if, if you could build a city out in the middle of anywhere, what are the first things that come to your mind? And he's, <laughs> he rolled his, his, his blind eyes going, <laughs> uh, it really got his attention. He said, Boy, that's a long time ago. He's, he said, the parks. You got to figure out where the parks are going to be. And uh, and I said, anything else? And he thought a second. And he said, the people. Where are the going people going to live? Where are the rich people subdivisions and the, the other people subdivisions? But. Uh, holy didn't come to his mind. <laughs> That's one of the significant things that he thought of in establishing a city. In verse 2, it talks about it's the gates of Zion that God loves more than the dwellings of all his chosen people. When it talks about the dwellings of Jacob, it's talking about uh, the covenant people, the Israelites, who uh, God made a covenant with them and said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And later on, um, we see that uh, Israel is referred to as Judah and Israel separately. But the psalmist, by using the word Jacob, is purposely including all of the covenant people that God is referring to. And it says, yeah. I do love all the places where you live and your work, all these dwelling places that you have. But I love the gates of Zion more. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Why would he talk about the gates that he loves so much? We're going to, uh, I, I mean, our cities now don't even have gates, right? Maybe checkpoints coming in and going out. Hi, welcome. And, uh, but the gates, the, the word gates still uh, refers to uh, the entry and exit points of a city. Well, you could put checkpoints if you want. And we'll come back to Zion's gates later. Uh, can maybe make room for some new people? So I'd like to, to think about this. Uh, like I said, we'll come back to, to Zion's gates later. Thirdly, verse 3 in this first part, it's the reputation of God's city that is described as, what word is used? Glorious. Glorious things will be said about you, O city of God. And again, I, let's think about glorious. Uh, just some, some feedback interaction. Tell me the name of a city 
and what it's known for, its reputation. And in Paris is known as City of Lights. Paris, City of Lights, okay. Good. New what? York's the Big Apple. Why? Why is New York the Big Apple? <laughs> I thought about that too, and Gene and I did. I haven't taken time to look it up. I'm curious. Chicago, the Windy City. I was thinking of that too, the Windy City, right. <laughs> Windy politicians, okay. Vegas is also a city of lights. A city of lights, and it's also known as Sin, Sin City. What has done their stays there, <laughs> right? The reputations of cities. Philadelphia, brotherly love. Brotherly love, yeah. Okay. So cities have these these uh, reputations. Even though all of us know that are living in any city or near it that, yeah, there's, there's other stuff about the city too. Like Larry said, yeah, many different things can be said about Las Vegas. Think about the coolness of a city whose reputation is the word glorious. And also it is founded on the word Holy, no. Glorious, holy, what kind of a city would that be? You know, typically when we think about glory, uh, including this, the glory of cities or people or places, it's the temporary glory of this world that points to itself, that points to ourselves, that we think about. It is a glory, it's, it's what I will call an upside down glory compared to God's glory in God's city, God's kingdom, God's place. Jesus taught us a right side up glory, a true side up glory, a pure side up glory. A holy side of glory. He warned his disciples that the most beautiful building in Jerusalem, that they were commenting about its glory, that it was a temporary glory. He taught us that in God's place, it is the humble and the weak that are brought high. It is the place where the people who are smart and skillful natural leaders are glad to be placed in servant positions. And if they are given leadership positions, they lead with servant hearts. In God's city, the pure in heart are at home, as are the lovers of their enemies and the peacemakers. In verse 2, it says that God loves the gates of holy Zion. The glory of those gates is the essence of the Christian good news, the Christian gospel. And you and I, like Adam and Eve, sin. We too became part 
of the cursed and defiled world, the cosmos that we are a part of. We do bad things and we need confession. We do good things that God loves, but even our good is often tainted with that self-interest that is, is <laughs> we haven't got rid of it. Because of our sin stains, we wouldn't have any right to go through Zion's gates into God's holy city. Just like the Levites, even though they were, they could have been um, in other ways uh, uh, qualified to serve as a priest. The Old Testament was clear that if they were in some way uh, defile, um, like deformed or blind, they were just not allowed to be working in the priest in God's holy temple. If we were to read Isaiah 33, 13 to 17, we would see that his, his description of Zion includes both the sinful people, the haughty people, but also the people who truly belong there, the spiritually connected people. The good news that we proclaim as Christians is that Jesus came into our cursed universe to save us, his people, from our sins. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, look, there's God's sacrifice lamb that has come to pay for the world's sin. At Jesus' trial, he told the ju his judge that he himself was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could enter, could come to the Father except through him. And I, so that, to me, that kind of is like, I'm a checkpoint. <laughs> I'm the, uh, and in fact, in one of Jesus' parables, he compared himself to a gate of a sheep pen. Uh, it opens, closes at his choice. The sheep come and go based on his will, and he also prevents those who hurt the sheep from coming in. No wonder God loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of his chosen people, Israel. Part two, I call it Zion, the city of God's people. Parts of this section seem to be unclear even in the Hebrew and thus result in different translations. I don't know your Bibles if you really noticed that. that. Uh, the cities and, and the nations that are listed were both far and near from Jerusalem. Uh, and they were, depending on the century, they were either uh, friends or foes. The commentators I read did not see a clear reason why these particular places were chosen rather than other options that they could have mentioned. However, two significant words were pretty well noticed and brought and discussed in all of the com commentators that I looked at. The words know and born. Uh, in verse four it talks about those who know me and 
I would assume that that's talking about God saying, those who know me. And I'm reminded of like when Jesus himself talked about a last judgment. And he says, people are going to come to the judgment and say, hey, we did all this special stuff in your, your name. You know, we were big people in the church. And Jesus uses this idea of, depart from me, you evildoers. I don't know you. I don't know you. We didn't have that relationship that we really, that's expected. We didn't have that spiritual connection, just social connection. The other word is born. And this is the one that kept grabbing me off. Father's Day, let's, let's uh, build on this. In these verses, in all, all three of them, that word, this one was born there, or this one and that one were born in her. It's that connection of Heavenly Father to earthly children. We are in this world, in this cursed world, and yet, because of his giving us birth, we're, in a spiritual way, we're able to connect with him. Even though people don't control their own birth, and we're not even conscious of it, right? A connection is made between a person and that place of their birth. I have a a humorous example of this. I'm always afraid to do that for fear that people will remember the humor and not the sermon. Uh, when I grew up in Nebraska, one of the, the, the phrases that came up was, were you born in a barn? Did anybody hear that? Yeah, outside of Nebraska. <clears throat> so a few weeks ago when I was on a video call with my two older sisters, and. Uh, uh, so they were, they were oldest, and then there was a brother, Carl, and I. Uh, I'm the youngest. So I asked them. I said, uh, "Where was I born?" And uh, one of my sisters said, "Well, Holdridge Hospital. We were all born there." And uh, I said, "Can you prove it for me? Can you prove that I?" wasn't born in a barn, and my <laughs> the second sister said, I clearly remember our brother Carl being brought home in a basket. Uh, I, can, I can still see them carrying him through the entry door, the back door, past the milk separator. And I go, ah, that's the door that leads in from the barn. Right? <laughs> Being born in a barn meant that you were poorly trained in etiquette. You did, you know, you, you weren't cool and sophisticated. And so I think in that same kind of a sense, born in Zion would, would represent people are recognizing your upbringing in God's city, in God's connected part of your life. Being known as one born in Zion leads me to two thoughts about Jesus. First, Jesus himself taught about a spiritual birth, spiritual life, 
coming from that spiritual birth. He talked to a religious man about being born again, is a phrase that he used. And uh, it was confusing to him. You can read about it in John chapter 6 if you want. Uh, it was confusing to him because he was still thinking about physical birth, not a spiritual birth. And it is confusing because the word birth is the same. Born, the word born is the same for either kind of birth. He was saying, you know, enter my mother's womb and be born again. We may not be aware of our spiritual birth as much as being aware of the identification with God, a desiring of recognizing, oh God, you're the one that's doing this for me. You're giving me life. You're giving me the ability to desire holiness and to not want to be following the temptation ways. How does God accomplish people being born spiritually? Well, the process isn't necessarily I don't know that we need to know the, the, the process of how God does stuff. But I do know that he allows us to trust in his gracious gift of Jesus making the way for us into Zion, into our relationship with him. Uh, let me read John one chapter or verses eleven to three. John one eleven to three. He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people, that would be the Jews as a nation, didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, accept, not reject, whether Jews or non Jews, individuals, to all who did receive him, who believed or trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Doesn't talk about the process, it just says it can happen. The birth of God. We can't, people don't give birth to themselves. And yet somehow their spiritual birth is evident as they receive rather than reject Jesus. And they believe in his name. Think of this as choosing to put your confidence in Jesus and what he has done to open heaven's gates for us. The second way that Jesus is involved is that he trains the Zion-born people in holiness. We've already touched on this a little bit. In Matthew 5 to 7, it's, it's an extend, one of the longest rec, rec, records, records of uh, uh, Jesus' teachings and sermons. It's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read that, you'll notice that uh, the concept of Jesus as your father comes up quite a bit. So he is, even though he might be teaching to 
all the everybody in the crowd. He knows that he's really talking to the people who are born there, born in Zion, who have God as their father. Let me just take a few uh, excerpts from that that uh, Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verses 43 and 45, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your neighbor, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Maybe your earthly father wouldn't have wanted that, but your heavenly father wants it. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Thank you, Lord. Uh, another excerpt in, in uh, chapter 6, verses 3 to 9. Um, well, I'll just read this part. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your Father, who? Your Heavenly Father. Uh, in verses 5 to 9, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. Well, that would be nowadays churches or on TV. Some of them are hypocritical, and they do it so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, you have they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Uh, I haven't heard that one prayed. Our, our Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Talking about a Heavenly Father. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard by their many words. Jesus teaching us related to be holy. Why shouldn't we do that? Don't be like them because your father knows your need before you even ask him. And then he talked about, pray then like this, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. My challenge to all who are Zion born, keep attending Jesus' holiness classes and worship and workshops and do this by reading his words. Keep learning. Keep listening to your conscience as it applies what he teaches you. And don't worry about what others think. Keep seeking the right side up glory. My take home for you from section two. I can find it. It's close. What people think about us affects what they think about where we are from. Therefore, let's be holy like our Heavenly Father is holy. Part three, one verse.
verse 7. You're allowed. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Singers and dancers alike. Um, Connor, next Sunday, you're going to dance, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you might like the other versions that say, singers and players of instruments. <laughs> Evidently, the word that, that was used there is one that uh, probably indicates uh, like a procession coming to Israel. And the emotion that's there is, is what's represented. People singing, but also there, there's people that are dancing and probably playing flutes or, or maybe the, the tambourine. Stuff like that. Well, the psalm opens with God's perspective on Zion. It closes with Zion's citizens' perspective. God has established a city of holy glory. The people, whether they're going to Zion or living in Zion, are represented as singing and dancing, playing flutes or tambourines, is a picture of their shared joy. It is not a picture of the thousands of normal activities that people do in a city, that you and I do in our cities. Rather, it's a verbal picture of the spiritual foundation of their lives and of our lives the Zion-connected part of life. And what are they singing? Just one phrase is given to us. All my springs are in you. Reading this verse almost gives me goosebumps. It is like a participation in one of God's holiness workshops. And I see these people with this summary of, of what they want to say. And it's like they're the spiritual black belts doing their katas for us. And I'm, I'm one of the white belts and the green belts. And, and I'm looking on and thinking, oh, I want to be more and more like those guys. I want to be able to differentiate the earthly water from the Zion Springs. I want to be able to see that all my physical provision is from God, from Zion. I want to be able to see that all of my spiritual provision is from Him. That all of my sources of eat, of, of excuse me, all of my sources for holy moral living are from. I want to be able to see that my sources of eternal life, eternal everything, is in him. And to realize that none of my sources of anything that is truly and eternally worthwhile are in this fallen universe, this fallen world. I will repeat with the three take-home statements adding 
the one for this last section. Part one, take home. If God makes a city, you can be sure it is super cool. Take home for part two. What people think of us affects what they think about where we are from. Therefore, let's be holy like our Heavenly Father is holy. And take home from part three. God's children know deeply and absolutely that all our best stuff comes from God's place. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we honor you on a day that we call Father's Day. You are the one who gives us the ability to love our children. You're the one who gives us the ability to even recognize your love to us and pass it on to our neighbors. May your name be honored this day. In Christ's name I pray.